The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hebelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Danielle Dreilinger. She is an award-winning journalist and the author of The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. She is presently a Carolina's storytelling reporter for Gannett USA Today Network, but before moving to Durham, North Carolina in 2021, she was a 2018 Knight Wallace Journalism Fellow at the University of Michigan and worked for the New Orleans Times-Picayune, WGBH News, and the Boston Globe. Her work has appeared in publications ranging from The Atlantic to Plowshares and many others. She holds a bachelor's degree, summa cum laude, from Columbia University. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Well, I was very much attracted to your book and the history that you have captured, the secret history of home economics. I want to know why you became interested in home economics. Sure. And, you know, it's a funny question because I did not go into the project interested in home economics in any conscious way, nor did it come from a story I was working on. I think with most journalists, when they write books, it's because they've stumbled across a story in their work that was so amazing that it just took longer than an article. But I actually came to it the other way around, which was that I knew I wanted to write a book and I was applying for a journalism fellowship that would let me write a book. And I just didn't have any great ideas. And I thought, well, what are the areas that I'm interested in? I thought, well, history and education. I was an education reporter at the time in New Orleans. And I figured race, gender, and class, like have to have that, or otherwise it just seemed like it wouldn't even be relevant. And then I thought about food, because when I'd been talking to the fellowship committee, they had asked me what I like to do. And I say, well, I cook a lot. And they said, oh, the University of Michigan Library has this amazing culinary collection. I could just see myself light up. And, you know, that's the kind of thing I like. I always read the food section of The New York Times. I have tons of books about like that's why I read for fun. So I thought, oh, I should I should include that as well. And I just put everything in the hopper. And after a week or two, I was like, oh, wait, home economics, the class that used to teach girls how to cook covers all the bases. Because, I mean, that's more or less what I thought it was. And, you know, even then at that moment, I thought, geez, why isn't this back now? Like, shouldn't this be back by now? There's so many forces in our culture that seem to point to a revival of home economics, right? Like everything from Top Chef and Project Runway to the backlash against standardized testing and fears about adulting and like DIY, the craftivist movement, like all of this stuff seems to be pointing in the direction of home economics, And then when I started doing actual research, I learned that one of the founders of home economics was the first woman to go to MIT. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, wait a second, there's so much here that nobody knows about. And it just became more and more true. Well, when I read that your book had come out, 
I thought of my own career. I mean, first of all, both of us as women, we as girls took home economics classes and we probably had similar experiences. I can say that personally, I was not overly intrigued to follow a home economics path after taking right. those classes. It was very much, as you say, stitch I don't and think stir. It, I, it didn't even occur to me that there was a career path right. for home economics. Exactly. And when I took it, so I took it probably in the very early 70s, late 60s, and processed food had already come on the market. So we weren't even learning the really good skills, the science of cooking. We were just basically making a mix. And right. Because was... the, the science had been done, had the science came before it got to you. Exactly. Was it the same for you? Honestly, all I remember is I remember corn muffins. I remember learning something about nutrition. I remember not being as excited as I, I already knitted. I already liked to bake. So I thought that this was just going to be such a great class. And I remember being underwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and I, rem <laughs> I, made, I made a stuffed banana. That was the uh, the project. <laughs> I felt I'm sure it was hand sewn. It, it, I will say I chose the most. It was the most complicated project that you could choose because I was an overachiever. But it was a blue, and it had a peel that you could pull down. And I was so proud of it. And then I brought it home on the bus, and the boys just went, "Well, you you guys can, <laughs> I can all imagine. imagine, yes." And I was mortified. Well, my sewing experience was a skirt that is still unfinished and sitting in a box somewhere. So suffice it to say that home economics in our experience was not what it could have been. And based on the historical aspects of home economics, it should have been so much more. And then, of course, in the interim now, what we're finding is that even though I actually went to a school of home economics to study food, nutrition, and dietetics, the schools and colleges of home economics have all had their names changed. So the School of Home Economics at Florida State University, where I got my undergraduate degree, that was one. Then there was the College of Human Environmental Sciences, which is where I actually ended up working. Mm. And then there's Colleges of Home Ecology, Human Sciences. Why the name change? Right. Well, first, let's back up and tell the listeners what home economics was to begin with. Good. So when, contrary to popular belief, home economics started out as a field with a doubled purpose. One was to bring science into the home to free women of the drudgery of housework so that women could just do what needed to be done, what was actually necessary, and be done with it and move on to do whatever else they wanted with their time, whether that be paid employment or taking care of their kids or being involved in civic affairs, gardening, whatever you want. And the other was to create a range of careers for women where women would be accepted because these careers were all tied, sometimes kind of tangentially, to jobs that women had traditionally held in the home. So that was things like dietetics, hospitality, working in textiles, early childhood education. And it was founded by a series of women who were, many of whom were single, very few of whom had children, some of them were widowed, and they were scientists, they were educators, they were 
excited to create a home for home economics in universities to make it a field that would be respected. And they wrote books that like household physics books. They wrote books about electrical engineering that were about household appliances. And they succeeded. They created an enormous range of jobs for women. And they did research on safe temperatures to cook your different kinds of meats so that you wouldn't get salmonella or trichinosis. And when technology changed, they changed with it. So when the ovens began to have temperatures that you could control, which once upon a time, you had to build a fire in a big hunk of iron, and that was your stove. They wrote recipes for this new technology the same way that, you know, you go to any thrift store, you were going to see a whole lot of microwave cookbooks written by home economists. So the field was originally called domestic economy or domestic science. That was in the mid 1800s. And a group of women had a conference in 1899 and they renamed the field home economics because they thought it sounded more intellectual. And so then 90 years later, 90, 95 years later, they renamed the field again, because by that point, people thought the home economics was dumb and was girls making corn muffins. And they wanted to show that they were scientific, that critical thinking was involved in home economics, that they were about careers. And so they never really came up with one name, which is part of the problem. But they rebranded themselves. Most often you'll hear family and consumer sciences. That's the high school, middle school class that you'll hear most often. But also, yes, human ecology, human sciences, just trying to come up with a way to get past the stigma of home ec. I'm glad you brought us back to the origins because I intrinsically have a respect for home economics. I really see the power that is there in the subject studied, even with our bad seventh or eighth grade experience, the colleges of home economics were really fantastic. And yet there was something about the image that stuck of the stirring and the stitching. And it was my understanding that that is why home economics transformed in all of these different terms. And you argue at the very end of your book, and I totally agree with you, that we need to go back and call it what it is, home economics, and embrace it and really take a deep dive into all of the different areas under which the home economics umbrella covers. Right. And I mean, I, look, I got to say, I have yet to uh, win that argument. <laughs> the really? book came out. Yeah, no, so, to my surprise, people in the field are not, even though pe there's people in the field who would say, you know, said to me things like, we never should have changed the name. Yeah. Uh, nope. I have not made any progress yet in, you know, it's hard to turn the Queen Mary. <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, it's, it, this field was respected for decades when the U.S. was starting to get involved in World War One, just even starting to, you know, try to send food to allies. Herbert Hoover, who was the head of the U.S. Food Administration, as soon as he was appointed, sent a telegram up to Cornell, which was one of the most influential home economics colleges, to the directors and said, come down, we need you. We need you to help to teach 
people how to eat less wheat, eat less sugar, to save food for our allies and eventually for our soldiers. They did the same thing. The same thing happened in World War II. Home economists were involved for more than a year before Pearl Harbor. And they did things like rewrite the Navy cookbook because you had to feed everybody in the Navy. They were creating cotton stockings that would hold up. I mean, if anyone's ever tried to put on non-elasticated cotton stockings, obviously they fall right down so that you know people could save silk for the war effort. So they were respected. And it wasn't until after World War II that you really get the slide into scorn that we know of today. And in fact, I mean, my book has more chapters for the 1950s and 60s than for any other era, because I just felt like I really needed to dig into why this happened when this field had been, I mean, when they changed the name in the late 60s, they changed the College of Home Economics at Cornell, they changed the name to the College of Human Ecology. And they also had the Home Economics College had the first women's studies conference at the same time. Right. And the, at that time, more than three quarters of the women faculty at Cornell were in the Home Economics College. Wow. Well, and you write too that in 1899, home economists argued for school gardens. I mean, yes. all of these things that we think are so cutting edge today and new ideas today were actually thought of by home economics a hundred years ago. So I think it really puts the work of home economics in perspective. Also, NASA creating meals that astronauts would be eating. That's another role of home economists. And your mother was a home economist. She worked for General Foods, I believe. Yes. You, you say that she wrote scripts for the Kool-Aid Man. She did. She wrote scripts for the Kool-Aid Man. And she... uh so it's funny, right? Because when I came up with this book idea, it wasn't until six months later that I remembered that my mom was a business home economist. <laughs> right. But one of the stories that she likes to tell is that she had a job going around to the morning shows of all of these rinky-dink television stations. And she was would unmold Jello under these hot lights to show whatever Jell-O product she was promoting at the time. Also, she was pregnant. And so if anybody's listening has ever unmolded a Jell-O mold, you know, <laughs> it, it's a high stress moment, right? And you're there like with the lettuce, like ready to camouflage any problems. And so she had to do this in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, there's no need to ever make a molded Jell-O salad. I just want to throw that out there. We are halfway through, so let me just take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Danielle Drellinger. She is an award-winning journalist and the author of the critically acclaimed book that we are discussing titled The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. I bring up your mother only because she is the home economist that I see born during my prime. So in the early stages of home economists, there were women who I see them as advocating for justice. They were really trying to improve the quality of life, whether it be through science or education in another area. So I feel like once business and industry saw the power that women had 
to influence what others think and do, they really latched on to home economists. And before you knew it, there were all kinds of, you know, there was the Dairy Council, and there was the Cotton Council, and there was the the soft drink group and the sugar group, and they all wanted to get a piece of a home economist to help them sell their product with legitimacy. Right. And those were good jobs, too. Yeah, they paid well. They were glamorous. But home economics is so much more than marketing questionable things. In fact, you write that home economists created recipes for companies with truly peculiar concoctions. You give the example of a salad pie. And James Beard and Julia Child, you know, people who were really doing beautiful things with food, did not hold the home economists of that day in high regard. Right. MFK Fisher, too, that right. absolutely looked down, down their noses. So, you know, so here's the thing. I feel the need to defend the Jell-O salad a bit. Okay. Um, because the, certainly, yes, the, the Jell-O, the, the salad pie was a Jell-O concoction in a pie shell that involved lemon Jell-O and some tomato sauce and some canned mixed vegetables. And to be sure, it sounds terrible. I did not have the guts to make it. Good. But, you know, so here's the thing about home economists and food. And I think it's especially pertinent when you think of the processed foods of the 50s and 60s, but it goes all the way back, which is that home economists, their primary goal, and this is true of business home economists and non-business home economists, deliciousness was not their primary goal. They were very practical. They were not, I mean, they may well, some of them were gourmets in their own time. Some of them couldn't cook their way out of a paper bag. But the non-commercial ones, to start with, they were interested in nutrition. They were interested in affordability. They were interested in how you need to treat certain cuts of meat that are inexpensive to make them edible. And they worked with the first crock pots because you could put them to the side and just do the rest of your work and right and not have because you didn't have time to be standing over a stove. And the commercial home economists, they were interested in, yes, selling products, but they were also interested in helping these busy women get dinner on the table and have it be something that everybody would more or less eat. And, you know, jello salads, many of them are really delicious and they look fancy for very little work. And I think that there's a lot of sneering at home economics recipes, but they fill the need. Again, we have this focus on just all of the things that women needed to do with their time. And everybody knows, especially, you know, I was finishing the book during the first months of the pandemic. Sure, you can make a Julia Child recipe on Saturday if you want, and that's fun. But are you going to do that seven nights a week? Of course not. Well, granted, the early home economists were absolutely about advocating for women in the home, making it easier so that they could go on to do more important things. And more important things were working for a better society, for example, as well as freeing women from just the drudgery. And I think we should go back to who is considered to be the founder of home economics, Ellen Swallow Richards. 
And she believed in the power of science to free women from drudgery. And how proud am I to share a home economics background with someone who was testing water quality and trying to find food that was adulterated with the argument that if we can show women how manufacturers might be cheating them and selling them inferior products, more power to those people who know. In fact, I think she even signed her letters with keep thinking. Yes. I love that. Yes. And this was the progressive era. The home economics movement really took hold in the height of the progressive era. So this is, you know, home economists were pushing for safe food laws for the pure food and drug laws that we have today, because this was the time when they were whitening flour with arsenic. They were putting sawdust in flour and selling it as flour. You know, things that were not only ripping people off, but dangerous. Right. Yes. Well, let's talk about some of the things that home economists were working towards. And we talked about briefly Ellen Swallows, Richards, but also I enjoyed learning about Catherine Beecher. Mm. She said it wasn't just about caring for a house. It was about the power of women to glue together a fragile society. And a woman's place is in the home. That whole idea seems submissive, but she argued that it was actually the core of democracy. And I think that we do not have a good full cost accounting of the value of the work that was traditionally done by women, largely in the home, it was really undervalued. And when you look at some of the problems that face society today, just, you know, not being able to feed yourself or know how to cook well, nutritiously, we don't really have a dollar value for that, but we should have. Right. Well, and home economists were the first to and this was the work of the Bureau of Home Economics in the 1930s, they were the first to put a dollar value on work done in the home, which is unpaid if you're doing it for your own home. So Catherine Beecher, she was the original home economist. She This was in the early 1840s. She wrote a book entitled A Treatise on Domestic Economy. And I would say the later home economists did not pull forward her idea that, the, yes, the role of women is to be in the home, but we make it into a place of power. The later home economists were mostly like, how do I put this? They focused on women because that's who was doing the work and because they wanted to find jobs for women, but they did not think that there was anything inherently feminine about work done around the house. Women were the ones who were doing it. But I agree that they were trying to point out the value of work that is done in the home. And When you talk to home economists today, or family consumer scientists, whatever they're calling themselves, there's a big focus on the home as this place where where we are all formed as people, right? Where we learn to have relationships, where we learn to affect the world. And home is a place that is at the center of concentric circles of impact. It's the ecological model of the home, right? But then also, yes, home economists were always very interested in the actual value of the work done in the home, which is undervalued. You know, speaking of the pandemic, all of a sudden schools are closed, kids are home, and there was this bizarre societal assumption that that could just be okay, that parents would be able to work 
while their kids were not in school, which of course is impossible. Like somebody needs to watch the kids. And I don't think it's any coincidence that these jobs that have traditionally been done by women and people of color, especially women of color, are so underpaid, right? Early childhood education, child care, house cleaning, like this is all yeah. cooking, right? This, these are all, if you're working front of the house, you make a lot more money than the person working back at the house. Yeah, that's right. But try to live well without those kinds of skills. Our time is flying. And I do want to bring forth something. You brought up the Lake Placid Conference. They met for 10 years, and this was the group of the true home economics founders. But I also pulled a quote from there that home economics would eliminate poverty. Mm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that concept. Right. Well, for one, Lake Placid is considered to be the founding conference of home economics as the big field it became. That said, not everybody was there. It was segregated. So you have a whole community of Black home economists who were working in Black colleges who were not part of that, who were creating their own programs and working in their own communities. But I would say all home economists, and this is true to this day, they share this real optimism about human potential. And when I think about When I was early in the book, I was trying to figure out like, okay, what's the difference between home economics and, okay, for instance, social work? And what they pointed out is that you have many disciplines that come in after there are problems and try to solve the problems. Home economics aims to come before you have problems and give people the grounding to deal with their lives before there is a crisis. And they really thought that the problems of, for instance, the unequal distribution of wealth, like they believed in both macro and micro solutions to these problems. They believed in creating laws that would set you know, minimum wages, right? That would set fair wages, that would, that would eliminate child labor. They also thought that you should learn how to cook well and eat well on whatever budget that you had instead of learning frivolous or goofy cooking that, you know, like fancy cooking that wouldn't actually help you survive. Like there's no point in learning how to make a corn muffin, like you can't live on corn muffins. The point is that it's teaching you about the science of quick breads and which might help you feed your family and Home economists, they aim to come in before there was a problem and equip people with the tools that they needed to live well on whatever income they had to have better relationships. And it it is an optimistic point of view. They really thought that what was just lacking was education and resources and policies, but that all of these could be put in place to help people lead better lives. Yeah. We've got to close. Do you want to Give us a few seconds of a charge or a last minute message from your research. Well, I would just say that if you want to bring home economics back, because people ask me about this, my advice is to go to your school district and to go to the school board and to go to the state board of education and start talking about it, because that's who makes the decisions on the priorities for what you need to have in a school day. There is a lot of competition for space in the school day, which is one of the reasons why home economics is more than not now, it's career education. It's tied into 
careers in the culinary industry, for instance, in early childhood. And that way it's in with the rest of career technical education. It's also life skills, right? It's teaching kids the skills that they need to mend their clothes when their button falls off. So yes, if that is something people want, the way to get it, in my experience, is to go to the people who are setting the policies and tell them that that's what you want. Absolutely. Well, I need to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Danielle Dreilinger. She is the author of The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. And I highly recommend the book. It's now out in paperback to truly understand the power of home economics and all the reasons to bring it back into the school districts. Thank you so much for your time, Danielle. Thank you for having me.